day seems like a year or the same day. Uh, so it's about maybe six or eight years ago. Someone kept throwing rocks through our sanctuary windows over here. And these are not ordinary windows, so not necessarily easier place. It happened to maybe at least two or three times. Usually at night, it would set off the alarm, and the police would come, and someone would wake me up. But it was a, a week or so later after it happened, last one had happened, and it was during the day, and I was in my back office. And I, I believe I was Wednesday, and I was writing my sermon, and I heard this huge crash. And I looked out my window, and I saw this purple flash running by. And so I, I just had an instinct. I got up, I ran out the back door, and I yelled, Stop! I had no plan. I really didn't think this through. I mean, I'm not the most imposing guy. I, I haven't, I don't, I'm not going to physically confront anyone. And if they physically confront me, I'm going to either run as fast as I can or go down like they're a bear and pretend I'm dead. That's, that's usually my two strategies right away. Or give them a big hug. That's my strategy. So I didn't know what I'd do. I said, stop. And you know what? He stopped. I mean, like, then I'm really thinking, uh-oh. What do I do now? <laughs> and it turned out, once I was able to gain my bearings, this was a scrawny little kid. I was like, all right. And there's no way I was going to catch him, by the way. Now, I don't know why he stopped, but he just stopped. He turned around. He was wearing this uh, purple beanie. I gathered. I said, come here, come here. And I, I talked. I said, did you break my window? He said, it was my friend. Right, he ran the other way. I, I said, oh, okay, whatever. But did you throw a rock? Through a window, eventually he agreed that he threw a rock through the window, and his friend said, "Well, I'll deal with your friend later." But did you throw a rock? And I just pleaded with him. I said, "Listen, you know, it's a nuisance. It's it's it causes a lot of hassle when you throw a rock." And I actually told him, "I listen, throwing rocks through windows—that's a lot of fun. Breaking glass is—I get it. That's a lot of fun. I love that sound." I would be encouraging, you know, like you put a plane of glass out there and you tell me I could break it, I'm excited about this opportunity. Let's do it. I said, but it's a nuisance. It's a, and all I wanted to, you to do is just stop. Will you agree to stop? And he kind of said, yeah, okay, kind of half-hearted, okay. And listen, I said, listen, I've already called the police several times. They've been out and back and forth. Look, I'm going to call the police and uh, you can either stay or go. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, so he left. Uh, and I called the police. The police came out here, and we talked, and I gave him the description. He called um, the high schools around, and within a half hour, they identified the kid because that purple beanie was a dead giveaway. He called Central High School, and the administrators knew immediately, purple beanie? Oh, we knew this kid. He actually just lives right around the corner. He lived right around the corner on Wilshire Avenue. He was our neighbor, just a kid, throwing a rock through a window when he should have been at school. So the cop was actually, so he said, actually, listen, this is a hate crime. We can actually charge him for a hate crime. But him and I agree, I said, listen, we don't want him to be charged at all. Right? If he agrees to stop, that, then we've accomplished all that we want to do. And said, so all I want is if I can uh, talk to him one more time uh, and he can have his mother there. So a couple days later, his mother comes and he comes and he meets me. The police are not involved at this point. They're done. Uh, and so and his mother comes in immediately is apologizing. And like, I'm sorry. I said, listen, you don't have anything to apologize for. This is between me and your son. And, and the only reason I wanted her there is that he would feel safe and that she would also know what was going on. And so I talked to him again and said, hey, will you agree not to break 
the glass more. And, and he actually had a great apology. He said, I'm sorry. I want to pay for it. I want to work this off. If I have to do yard work or cleaning around the church, I want to do this. And I, and I turned and I said, listen, do you know what grace is? No. I mean, you probably may, might have known, right? But he he's like, no, what, what are you trying to get at? I said, grace is when your debt is wiped clean. And so that's what I'm going to do for you right now. You don't have to do anything. In fact, I don't want you to do anything. You are forgiven. If you agreed to stop, you are forgiven. And this is done with. And his mom said, no, no, he needs to come in. I said, no. I, she was assisting on paying for it. And I said, I was assisting on grace. No. I don't tell this story that tell you to show you how magnanimous I am. Because you know that's not true. But I tell you the story about how humble that boy was. How humble, how, how terrifying that had to be to come with his mom into a place. Knowing that he possibly could be charged. To have to apologize, to have to work off a debt. He had to humble himself. I pointed out sin. I pointed out his sin. I pointed out what he did wrong. And by the way, I think he knew what he did was wrong. He just didn't know the full effect and how it impacted others. I offered grace. I offered forgiveness. I didn't give it. I just offered it to him. He repented. He decided, and he did, stop breaking the windows. And I forgave him. I canceled his debt. I canceled the debt that he owed for breaking those windows and wiped it all away. This is the gospel. I hope you hear it. This is the good news. This is the, how God loves us. Jesus, God, confronts us with our sin. This is why he gives us the law. He gives us the law. not because he knows we can obey, but to confront us with our sin. Do you see who you are? Do you see how broken you are, how different you are from me? That's what the giving of the law is. This is what Jesus does when he comes to the world, right? It's a confrontation of the way of the world and the way of God. And Jesus says, look, this is who you are, and this is who you are meant to be. Confronts us with our sin. This is what grace does. Grace confronts us with our sin, with our brokenness. And then Jesus offers us grace. He offers us forgiveness. He offers to wipe our debt clean. And then we have a choice. Do we repent or do we keep on going? Or do we keep on doing what we were doing? And if we repent, we receive forgiveness and our debt is cleared. It's canceled. When we trust in the grace that is offered. And then we change our ways. Our ways are thoughts and then our actions. Now, it's not that we have the ability to do that, right? I just want you to understand. We, we prayed for, for Maeve, Lord, that God, send your spirit on her. Send your spirit on us so that we can change because we know we don't have that ability in us. It's God in us. There is no forgiveness without reconciliation, without the restoration of the relationship. There is no reconciliation without repentance. Without change in action, change in our heart. There is no reconciliation without confession. 
There is no reconciliation without confrontation. Pointing out our sin. Grace. This, this love that God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he has to point out our sin. And he, has to, he wants to point out, this is how broken you are. That sin, this, 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 this sin confrontation is really an offer of forgiveness. And then it moves us to confess our brokenness and repent. And then it moves us in true forgiveness. The canceling of our debt. There's the offer and then there's the response and there's the fulfillment of forgiveness. Grace, sin confront it. It's a cycle. Confess, forgiveness, and then there's love. Always love in all of it. So how, what does this have to do with racism? Which is what I've been talking about the last five weeks. How does this, how does this idea of forgiveness deal with racism in ourselves, in our church, in our community, and in the world. If racism and the idea of race is made or constructed, that this is not a biblical concept, this is a man-made concept that there are multiple races, and that race is a way to separate and put a hierarchy on people, If it is made and constructed, it can be deconstructed. It can be unmade. It can be decreated. This is the good news. And this is God's work. Part of his good news is the restoration of all creation, of all relationships. And I know I've been, I've been giving some definitions that may confront or may challenge your understanding of those definitions of race and racism, right? That This definition I've been using of race, and I don't think it's full and complete, but this is part that race is a social construct to create categories and systems to place value, economic, social, and spiritual, based on skin tone. And racism is a conscious and unconscious bias created by systems and structural inequality. This means racism is not just outward, so it's not just out there, or, or, or racism is not just overt acts, or even overt acts of systems that we are aware of. That means there's, they're hidden sometimes, and they're unconscious in us. They're just ingrained in who we are. And I, I know those definitions may be challenged, but here's the thing. Those words are really new. Those words, uh, racism is a, it's a 20th century word. And if you actually go back to the very first usage of that in the early 20th century... You, you, go look it up, the etymology of this word. It's not what you and I grew up with. You and I grew up with that racism was the idea of overt prejudice from an individual. Racism was originally used to describe Nazi Germany and how it treated Jews in systematic ways, in sociological ways, not in individual ways. That's how the word was originally used in the 20th century. Now, the idea of all of racism was way before that. Way before that. But that particular word was used in that way. And, of course, words change in their meanings. And the ebb and flow, that's how the English language works. But racism, it's like original sin. When, you're, when you, we're born into this world, we are not aware of our brokenness. We're just aware that we are. We're just, this is the way the world works. And until God reveals 
the brokenness in us and around us. Then we begin to understand. And we know that he doesn't reveal all our brokenness and all the brokenness of the world all at once because that's too overwhelming for us. And so we just think this is the way the world is, but God could slowly reveal the brokenness of the world around us. And that's a little bit about how racism and the systemic racism that is is in our world and in our country. So if racism can be created, it can be decreated. So how do we as the church, the body of Christ, do that? If this is part of the proclamation of the gospel, the full reconciliation of people. If this is part of the gospel, that it's not just personal salvation, but it is the restoration of all creation. How do we as the body of Christ do that? How do we as individuals, as the church, and the whole body of Christ do that? I've been going on this series we've talked about. It's love. First of all, you have to care about this issue. You have to care about people, and then you have to care about this issue. So love. Then you have to learn. You have to be willing to learn. You have to learn the, the gospel and the biblical truths. And you have to perhaps learn about the systemic racism and the racism that you live with and how it's lived out today. And that's an uphill learning curve for all of us. Well, maybe some of us understand it a little bit better. But now I know I didn't, and I'm learning. And I'm willing to learn more. And then we have to be willing to confess. When we are confronted with our sin, we ought to confess. We need to confess our fears, confess our complicity, confess our racism, how we, we contribute to racism, confess our willing ignorance, confess our fear that this is hard and could possibly divide us and isolate us and produce little results. And then we have to repent. In the change of thoughts, we have to change our actions. And then, as a people, we need to live out the grace of God. Forgive Live in reconciliation. Offer forgiveness and live in that reconciliation. Restored, proper relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others, and the whole creation. That there's one race, one humanity. How do we decreate racism? Matthew 18, 21 through 22 Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Now this is actually a remarkable statement. Because the ordinary standard of that time, that that a Pharisee or a religious leader at that time said, hey, this is the reason, this is beyond what you need to do. This is what would say, hey, you've done enough. Is three times according to what, that was sufficient. Someone sins, you forgive, they sin, you keep doing it, and what, what Jesus said, and Peter goes around, he says, double, and one, and one that, right? So the seven, this guy kind of complete. It's seven times, right, Jesus? Like, if I, I'll better than these guys, better than the normal way of doing it, right? And Jesus is like, well, I dare say to you seven times, I dare not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, I don't think Jesus is being literal that you need to count the times, Right, he's, it's, it's hyperbole. Like it's it's bigger than you think, Peter. Forgiveness and grace is bigger than you think. If we are His children, we forgive. If we are God's children, we forgive and we love and we act in His character. And it's not just seven times, but it's 
more than beyond our imagination and perhaps our willingness. And then Jesus tells a parable. It's not an allegory. Don't try to take a parable and put one-to-one, one-to-one. This is how it exactly is. Now, Jesus is telling a parable, and it has really one kind of main thrust of point that he's really trying to communicate, our eternal reality. Matthew 8, 23, 27. And he goes and tells this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, you may be like, what's a talent? Well, here's a talent. A talent is worth 20 years of wages. So, if we were to take the U.S. medium wage right now, right now, it's not a great example, it's just a medium wage, it's at $61,000. So, uh, 10,000, so one talent of debt, 20 years, would be $1.2 million. 10,000 of these talents would be $12 billion. That's a significant debt. This, I mean, that, that's what Jeff Bezos makes in a day, right? He made $13 billion in a day last week with his Amazon stock. That's, that's a significant debt. That's national government kind of debt making a day kind of thing. And this servant, what does this servant do? He goes, and since he could not pay, you think? His master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made to take everything. That's what he owed. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, and I actually think this better word would be out of compassion. That's what this word really is. Out of compassion for him. Out of this deep love for this servant. The master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. $12 billion. Forget about it. It's done. It's over. You're forgiven. It's wiped out. The point of this, this parable that Jesus is trying to get to Peter, right? Where he just asked him a question. Like, hey, Peter, God is absurd and amazing. And his forgiveness and his grace is beyond your imagination. It's more than you ever comprehend. And we can never repay our debts to him. And yet he still loves us. He still offers grace. And then this parable goes on. In verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, here's what a denarii is worth. One denarii is worth a day's wages. Right? So if the medium wage is $61,000, 100 denarii is worth 100 days of work. That's about $17,000. Now, I just want you to put this in this comparison of the debt that he owed, that his, his fellow servant owed the servant, compared to the servant owed the master. It's like one ten thousandth. One ten thousandth percent of the debt. If you want to put it in, a, in real kind of money fashion, it is uh, if someone owes you a penny and you owe someone else $12,000. And the person forgives you $12,000 and you say, I want that penny. 
It's insignificant. It's meaningless. And goes on, 100 there, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. The same words, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until you should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and when they went out and reported to the master all that had taken place, then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger in his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive the brother from your heart. Here's the good news. God is in the business of heart transformation. He knows the brokenness of your heart. And, I mean, did you see the point of that, that parable? It's like, listen, God is amazing. God's grace is astounding. And all he's asking you is to live out that character in part because no one owes the debt to you as you owe it to God. And you are to live out that grace just as he lives that grace out to you because you're his children. Because he's your father. Because this is the character and this is how he's changing your heart to be. To love. To forgive. To care. We belong to God. We act like God. We respond and love like God. We give grace like God. We forgive like God. Eager, abundant, lavish in his grace. Infinite. This is the type of forgiveness Canceling debt is life-changing. This type of forgiveness preaches and testifies to the glory of God when you live it out with people. This is the type of forgiveness that the world needs to see, that the world needs demonstrated and modeled starting in the church. Forgiveness is not cheap. I don't say this is easy at all. Forgiveness is not free. The debt that we owe God is unpayable. It's our life. It's death. The wages of our life, the wages that we've earned for every moment of our life is to die. And the gospel is Jesus takes on that punishment. He knows that debt. He takes on that debt for us because he knows we can't pay it. That's costly for him. That's not easy. I mean, it's easy because he loves us. But it's not easy. That's a hard thing for him to do. It's a painful thing for him to do. There's a price to be paid for our debt. And Jesus takes it on. Forgiveness is hard and it is painful. We don't just forgive people and move on. Because it's against our nature, isn't it? We don't want to forgive. We want justice and we want revenge. And this is what God tells us. Those two things are mine. I will give justice. 
and I will take revenge. And the offer to everyone is either Jesus takes that, the revenge of the Father, and he takes the justice of the Father on the cross for us, or that we take it. And we owe the debt, but he's offering forgiveness. Forgiveness is not in our nature, but it's in the nature of our Father. It's in the nature of God. And God is making us into that nature every day, slowly. Hard process, isn't it? So what's this process of forgiveness? How do we forgive? How do we forgive? We give thanks. You start by giving thanks. We remember that we are forgiven. We remember what God does for us, that he has forgiven our debt, and we are thankful. We are grateful for this, God, for this act, this act of love, and a response for that love is loving him back. And so the second process is we love. Give thanks. God loves us, and we love God. God loves us so that we can love Him. God loves us so that we love Him and that we love neighbor. That's love God, love neighbor. That's fulfillment all the law. If you do not love your neighbor, you do not love God. Period. End of story. Because God is love. This is what He's telling you. This is the fulfillment of all the love. And so we respond to loving, by God's love to us by loving Him and therefore loving our neighbors. And Jesus really, really ups the ante. This is what I mean by loving your neighbors. Not just the people you like. Not just the people that are good to you. Not just the people that are kind to you. This is what Jesus says mean loving your neighbors. Luke 6, 27, 28. But I say to you, who hear, who pay attention to me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who who curse you, pray for those that abuse you. I mean, come on. That, that is not an easy task at all, is it? That's not my first response. My first response is to grumble and complain and to point out, look how terrible they are. Look how mean they are. And God says, love them, do good to them, bless them, pray for them. So how do you bless someone that harms you or that hates you or that's against you? How do you bless someone that actually needs forgiveness, that needs your forgiveness? It's not just to remain silent. It's not just to say, well, I forgive them in my heart. I mean, it's, it's possible, right? There's, there's sometimes ways that people die before we can actually have this process of forgiveness with them, right? Sometimes people aren't safe to enter into this process with this. But ordinarily, it's not just being silent and I forgive them in my heart. Because that's not the process of forgiveness that God lays out. And here's what I need to say about this very clearly. Do not rush yourself into this process, and do not rush someone else into the process of forgiveness. 
One of the more abusive ways that we can harm people is rush them through their grief and rush them through their process. It takes time for God to work in our hearts in this process for us to learn to forgive us. Depending on the severity of the harm, it takes time. And everyone is not as mature as you are. So it takes time for people to go through this process. It takes God to be with them. We also need to be mindful of the destruction nature of the bitterness and hatred and revenge have on ourselves. The process of forgiveness is also about self-love, a loving yourself properly. Holding on to bitterness is not loving yourself properly. It just eats away at you. Hebrews 12:15 says, "See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble by it many become defiled, right? That this inside of you, that this, this, there's this thing that just, I'm angry and I'm bitter and I'm upset and I want something, I want that revenge. Be careful with that. That's harmful to you. I mean, it's harmful to others too, but it's harmful to you. Love others. Love others, even your enemies, is a way of properly loving yourself. Being in a right relationship with yourself and right relationship with God, and right relationship with other people. You can start by just praying for them. That God will change them. That God will work on their heart. That God would bless them. That God would have good things happen to them. Or you yourself can actually bless them. Encourage them. Right? We love, we give thanks. This is the process. We give thanks to God. We remember what he's done for us. And we love because he calls us to love. And then we confront the process of forgiveness. We confront sin. We offer forgiveness to others. It takes wisdom of how and when to do this. It's not a cookie cutter way of doing this, right? Each individual situation is different and so it takes wisdom. Because some people aren't ready to be confronted in their sin. A person ought to be receptive to it. To offer forgiveness, you have to show people their sin. Now that's usually just not a very productive conversation with most people. If you tell them what's wrong about them. Or how they've hurt you. That usually doesn't go well in our world. It ought to. But it usually doesn't. I mean, this is what God does. He gives us the law, right? I said this right. He gives us the law to confront us with our sin because he loves us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to work in our conscience to confront us with our sin within us. He gives us the life of Jesus to show us who, what we're not and what we ought to be, what he's creating us to be. It's a confrontation of our sin. Jesus always confronts sins. There's not one encounter where Jesus says, I'm just letting that sin slide. He always calls it out. We need to have a willingness to forgive. That means a willingness and a courage to confront with sin. Wisdom as well. This is is the spiritual DNA of our Father. A willingness and an eagerness to reveal sin, confront sin, and forgive. And also that means we ought to be people that 
are being willing to be confronted with our sin as well. All right, we, we give thanks, we love, we offer forgiveness, we, we, we confront sin, and then let's put ourselves on the other side. We need to be people that need to be willing to receive it and repent. Luke 17, 3 through 4. Luke, Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. I love this. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, confront him. And if he repents, did you hear that? If, it's a conditional statement. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in that day and turns to you seven times, I say, repent and you must forgive him. And this is almost the same kind of quote he's using in Matthew. It's a, it's a little bit different context, so I'm sorry you're saying it again. Right? He said, I, I want you to get the vernacular. When, when Jesus says rebuke, I think it's, it's a really a way of offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying, I forgive you, and then I'm not going to tell you what you actually need to be forgiven of. It, there's, a, there's a confrontation of your sin, a rebuke of your sin, which is an offer of forgiveness. That actually is not forgiveness. Real forgiveness is when the person receives it and repents. And then there's true reconciliation. And Jesus says, that's when you forgive. You offer. You be willing to forgive. This is who God is. He's willing to forgive. He's eager to forgive. We ought to be people, when we are confronted with our sin, we need to receive that news. Not to be defensive. Because we ought to realize, yeah, I am a broken person, and I am broken in ways I do not understand. And deeper than I realize. And I need, you need to be willing to change. You need to be willing to learn because you, you love God. And you know that you're broken. You love his truth. And you need to be willing to humbly apologize and repent. Change your thoughts. Change your actions. Need to learn. I said it before and I know it challenges us. But we don't need to forgive everyone. We need to love everyone. We need to be eventually willing to offer forgiveness to everyone. But forgiveness only happens when the other party repents. If they repent, you must forgive. I'm not giving you out, right? I, do, I hope you don't hear the out there. Like, whew, I don't need to forgive. No! I think it's actually, this is a harder process which God gives us. Instead of just, just forgive. Says, no, get into this process of reconciliation. Jesus does this on the cross. Jesus is thankful for what the Father has done on the cross. And he confronts, he loves, he loves us. That's why he's on the cross. And he confronts our sins because he's on the cross. It's a confrontation of what we've done. And he offers forgiveness. Do you believe in me? Do you trust in me? And only when we repent and receive that forgiveness through the ability of the Holy Spirit are we actually then forgiven and reconciled with God. Not everyone is forgiven at the cross because not everyone repents of their thoughts and their behavior. And not everyone trusts in Jesus and his way and this process of which he's laying out for us. So we give thanks, we love, we offer forgiveness, we confront, and then we repent, or the other party repents. And then the last part, true forgiveness and reconciliation happens. Forgiveness offered and forgiveness received. This is shalom. This is the peace of God, the kingdom. The kingdom of God is after shalom and peace, reconciliation with himself and with the world, with others. 
This is the fullness of the gospel. It's not just I'm saved and I'm okay. It's the restoration of all things in which he's sovereign over. Relationship and fellowship healed, behaviors changed, debt canceled. So how do we decreate racism through forgiveness? Or properly, the process of forgiveness. I am not suggesting, hear this clearly, that people of color just forgive and forget. That is not the process of forgiveness. I am, nor am I suggesting that people of color have to initiate all the confrontation of sin that white people have done to them. I'm not suggesting that at all. I, I think it's a process which they should enter. But as Christians, first and foremost, Christians who are white, we need to take ownership of our blind spots on this issue. And at the beginning of this, we need, because we love people, because we love God, we're going to care about this issue. And we're going to take the time to learn, to learn about racism, to learn about ourselves in ways we never understood before, understanding that we are blind to this in many ways. And when we see and that God begins to reveal that or others begin to reveal that, whatever it is, we are going to confess because this is who God is creating us to be. This is why he gives us the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. And then we're going to repent. We're going to change our thoughts and go in the opposite direction. And we're going to actually receive the forgiveness that is offered to us by God and by others. And we're going to give it to others as well, that offer of forgiveness. Can we do the effort as the body of Christ to create a learning and to learn things? Are we going to do an effort to, to spend the time to learn the things that we don't know about ourselves and about racism? Because we love people. To learn the things that we don't know. To not be defensive about our own sin. Are we going to have the courage to do this? To own our sin. To understand that we don't recognize our sin, that other people have to show it at times. Are we going to take the effort to, to, to create an environment that allows trust to be built, that allows people to be willing to confront us, to be a person that is not defensive, that when we are confronted, that we'll receive it and own it and be thankful for that person for confronting us for that sin? I'm asking us all. I'm asking us all in this church, people of color, white people, all God's children, the one race of God, to be strong and courageous. This is who God is calling us to be. Joshua in 1 9, as he brings his people into the promised land, he says it over and over and over and over again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God said, look, at this, is, this is my process. I know this is hard. I know this is painful. I know this seems absurd. But follow me and go here. Be strong and courageous. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. It takes humility, it takes vulnerability to enter into the process of forgiveness. 
particularly in the issue of racism, can we have the courage and the strength to love people, to love God, to learn, to be willing to recognize that we've been taught things that aren't true, to confess, to create an environment that allows people to confront us, to confess, to repent, to be eager, and to forgive, and to receive that forgiveness. I know this is not easy. But this is the type of community that God is calling his people to be. This type of community communicates the truth of who he is. And the truth of what he has done and what he's doing for the world. Will you have the courage to enter the process of forgiveness with others? Will you have the courage to confront others and will you have the courage to be confronted? Will you have the courage to confess? Will you have the courage to repent? And will you have the courage to forgive? Will you have the courage to join me in decreating racism in yourself, in this church, in our community, and then in the world? If so, if you have this courage, you will have the courage to proclaim the gospel as well. Because that is part of the gospel. This is gospel proclamation work. This is the task of the Great Commission. Reconciliation with God, with yourself, with others, and with the whole world. This is what God has set out to do and since the first sin entered the world. Praise be to God that he is a promise keeper. Let us pray. Dear gracious God, I'm overwhelmed with how you love us with how you love me. I'm not worthy of your love. My debt is larger than I can ever imagine. I don't even want to see my debt, but I'm thankful that you confront it. Lord, help us to be a community that loves you, that loves others, that learns that was willing to dive into the gospel, that to dive into this understanding of racism in our world and throughout the history and how it is in us. Lord, give us the heart to confront sin in others and in ourselves and give us the heart and ability to repent, to trust in you and give us the ability to offer forgiveness and to receive forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for this grace for this abundant, lavish, eager grace that you have that stems from your love for us. Praise you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.